The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more, SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the port johns It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan-friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto-friendly. They've all been well-researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom of three girls, and I'm a CPA. My name's Eric Hall. I'm a ultra coach and runner and cyclist. I'm a father of two teenagers and a husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. 
Right on. Eric is currently in the process of making dinner for his beautiful wife, Melissa, and maybe one of his two teenage kids. So he might have to duck out here in just a minute. So let's go around the horn real quick. Michelle, what you been up to? Yeah, not much. I'm definitely feeling better than I was last week. Had a, <laughs> <laughs> a negative COVID test, a inconclusive COVID test, which is presumed positive. Um, but I'm feeling much better. I obviously, I hope I sound better. You um, sound better. <laughs> I went for uh, two easy 30 minute runs on Monday, Tuesday. So for people wondering if I was ever going to run again, like George and Eric, um, I did do a little <laughs> bit of that. <laughs> going to take today off because I can't say that I felt really uh, good at the 30 minute mark. But mm -hmm. if it's a combination of coming back from both time off after a 50k and being really sick, then hopefully just going to give it a little bit of time. So I, I think that's wise. Otherwise, that's about it. <laughs> that's plenty there. It's not uncommon for people to get sick immediately following a major effort. Um, I mean, there, there's research that demonstrates that more than half of marathoners after their target marathoner actually come down with some sort of infection or cold or something like that in the two weeks following the race so yeah and i was convinced that that was pretty much what it was i didn't you know mind so much uh the laryngitis and but by the time you have a sore throat and a headache that lasts for five days it becomes a little bit more uh mm -hmm. worrisome than just the average cold or virus so um yeah, it felt pretty bad. <laughs> but once I turned the corner, um, I felt better Sunday and I felt a little bit better every day since. So good. hopefully I'll just keep improving. Good, good. Yeah. And and even if it, even if you didn't feel all that bad in the age of COVID, like when you're not feeling quite right, you kind of are obliged to go get a test right now. So so glad that you did that. Um, but more importantly, I'm glad you're feeling better. So um, that that gravelly quality to your voice is, is not with us. It might take something away from our podcast. I think we might see our listenership drop this week, but yeah, I know everybody probably really appreciated <laughs> that last week. I think the right thing to do would have been I'm out for this week. Good luck guys. <laughs> but I didn't want to leave you guys hanging. So, you know, appreciate I, I took one for the team. So appreciate that. Appreciate that. Thank you, Michelle. Eric, what you up to, man? Well, I'm back in the saddle again. I got out on Swift. <laughs> gotten four fairly good Zwift rides in. I came in on the end of uh, the Tour de Zwift, so I got stages seven and eight under my belt. Oh, right on. I've got to go back and during the makeup week get one through six in. <laughs> and, and just to show how stupid I am, I started talking to you guys about actually doing the Tour of Sufferlandia at the same time. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. Why, <laughs> why, why wouldn't you? Sure. So, After so. doing the two time trials on Saturday and Sunday for the Chase and Consolera. So, 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 so what you're saying is that going back into the saddle, it's not just like, oh, you're like testing the waters again. It's like you're diving directly back into the ocean. <laughs> it's more like, yeah, it, with blocks tied to my ankles. Okay. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Very good. Well, th those of us who ride on Zwift uh, and, and often ride on Zwift with you, we've been missing you, Eric. So, so glad you're going to be back. It sounds like I'm going to have plenty of opportunities to ride with you over the course of the next week or so. Uh, right. And so, so I definitely look forward to that. But yeah, the Tour de Zwift is wrapping up right now. Eric mentioned that it's a eight stages and you have five days to ride each of the individual stages and they have one makeup week. And so as Eric just said, he did stage seven and eight. And then now he's definitely going to have to do stages one through six during the makeup week. I'm going to have to do stage eight during the makeup week. Um, but then I also did the run on the Tour de Zwift, which is the same setup. And I'm going to have to make up three of the runs. Uh, and so, yeah, you say that now. Actually, I've decided that if I end up like 
pulling it off and somehow getting all of that makeup stuff next week, which is, it's more difficult than it sounds because you have to actually do it at scheduled times. If you oh, could just like go thing. on your tre treadmill or something. Well, I mean, but those scheduled times, you have to actually meet up with people on Zwift and do it. And it's not like it's every hour. It's like it, they, they only have it like 7 a.m. and then 10 a.m. and then 4 p.m. And so if the time that you have to run that day is 1 p.m., you're not going to be able to do a stage. Um, I've decided that if I'm able to pull it off, I'm actually going to order one of the t-shirts. It's going to be my first race t-shirt in a little while. George, how many t-shirts do you have? <laughs> too many. Um, like every runner, I have too many. But you know what was brilliant though? Um, about two years ago, I took a whole bunch of t-shirts out of my drawers and I put them into a special pile in my closet. And that's now my throwaway t-shirt pile for when I go to marathons. Have you even I've done like one incrementally decreased pile. the amount of t-shirts yeah, no, in that pile. That, 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 that pile has actually grown larger since I started it. But the that point is, is, is that the point is that I'm 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 managing the t-shirt load. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, I'm also excited to ride with you on Zwift Eric because I have my new setup going now. I have my new trainer in there. I have my Apple TV running after the iPad has become now the family iPad after the stride power meter for your running destroyed <laughs> my entire indoor riding ecosystem, which let's, to be fair, it probably didn't actually do it, but, but I was going to say, I'm, did it really, was it really so the stride's I, I, fault? I'm still going to hold it against the stride, at least for, at least for the time being. But, um, but I did end up getting a new trainer um, and I'm excited about that. And I, I raced on it and I've done a couple long rides on it and all that sort of thing now. And it uh, has a slightly different feel. Um, I actually borrowed a trainer last week from another friend. And so at one point I actually had four trainers in my house for so smart another item that another yes. friend is never going to get back no no that friend's actually going to get it back well i take that back maybe not um. <laughs> <laughs> why listen listeners of the podcast we don't lend stuff to george darden we just don't do it you <laughs> like, gave a towel back well i did get the towel back so so you the did. towel has you been returned um, yeah, the trainer has not yet been returned, even though I haven't ridden on it in a week. I, I want to really make sure that that the the new one that I bought works well for me in the way that I want it to work before I return the borrowed trainer from the person who let me borrow it. But um, but interestingly enough, it was a wheel on trainer rather than a wheel off trainer. Um, like the Wahoo Kicker, you take off your rear wheel in order to ride, um, whereas the one that I borrowed from him, it was still a smart trainer. Um, in that the it used power and you could use it to ride Zwift and train a road and Silverfest and all that sort of thing. Um, but it was a wheel on trainer. So you would actually leave your rear wheel, rear wheel on your bike and it would modify the resistances on there. And it's actually much harder to ride on a wheel on trainer than is a wheel off trainer because it forces you to pedal in a fuller circle. Um, and I had forgotten about that over the course of the two years since I last rode on a wheel on trainer. Um, and so I go into a workout and I'm feeling pretty good and all that excited. And I actually blew up completely in the workout for the first time that I've just straight up blown up in a workout in like a year because I was too ambitious because the wheel on trainer was so much harder. My, like my lower back was hurting and, and all sorts of things that haven't hurt in a while because, um, because I was using a wheel on trainer. So my takeaway from that is maybe I need to periodically be using a wheel on trainer which is the reason why that friend might not be getting it back for a little while. <laughs> See, right to my point. 
don't know what to say. You know how many times I get to this point where I just don't know what to say after one of the two of you says something like that? I do think that George's ability to laugh at himself is remarkable. So I, I think that's a positive. That's, I'm going to take that as a compliment, Michelle. That's about okay. as good as it's going to get from Michelle. So I'm going to take that as a compliment, <laughs> Michelle. Thank you. Um, we, uh, we're instituting a new segment on the podcast this week, and we're going to call it The Run. Um, and, and in our segment, The Run, we're going to talk about a run that one of us did over the course of the week prior or since the last podcast. This is presuming, of course, that ultimately Michelle begins running again. Um, and, or we just talk back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Right? It may, may well just be like, you know, Eric one week, then George the next week, then Eric the next week. And uh, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, but no, actually, to be fair, we were telling Michelle this week that she shouldn't be running because she has been feeling bad. So Michelle, I am certain, would have probably run every day since Sunday, uh, despite the fact that she was sick, if she was not texting me and Eric and Eric and I were pleading with her to take more time off and get well from whatever infection was was plaguing her. But um, anyway, back to our new segment, The Run. So we're going to talk about some run we did, something special about it, some insight we had during the run, uh, some other thing like that. Um, indeed, runs are not always the same. It's not just going out there and experiencing it and putting mile after mile and, and, and every day the same. Um, runs can be unique and exciting. So Eric's going to kick us off. Eric, tell us about your exciting run this week. So I've been looking for a reason to wear my newest pair of off-road shoes and uh, Michelle's going to roll her eyes as soon as I mention these shoes, They're the Solomon speed cross GTX, uh, Solomon speed cross five GTXs. And th this is not a shoe you just put on and go for a ride or go for a run off-road. This is a, this is a pair of shoes that you really, you need to have uh, a, a, a challenging course. And what I found was a really wet, nasty course. Wet and mud and wet, wet rocks. Wet and mud and wet rocks. Yes. So why do you, so why purpose, do you have to have that for this particular pair of shoes? And I'm going to get into that. So that's okay, a great question. Okay, so okay. The, the, the purpose of this run was um, I needed, I needed an off-road run. And uh, the reason why the shoes came into play was because it had rained for the last two days, but I really wanted to get off-road. So um, so those two things came together and I went out and took this run. So the, the trail I was on, um, it's a, it's a cool little piece of the, the greenway that's off-road here in Raleigh. We have a great, uh, greenway system here in Raleigh, but most of it's paved. And this right. is a, a short section that's actually unpaved. It's about a that's mile cool. and a half called the Honeycut trail. And then that runs into, you cross the road and you get onto what we call the mountain to sea trail. And so I hit the mountain to sea trail at Falls Lake. And then I ran another, uh, what, two and a half miles on the mountain to sea trail and an out and back run. So I was going out for a, you know, I'd call it a, a moderate, easy run, you know, somewhere around 830, 840, cause it's off road. And I threw on those speed cross five GTXs because I expected it to be messy. Um, just to go through, you know, kind of like the, the rest of my setup for the day. It was, it was in the mid forties. I was wearing a long sleeve shirt and I probably overdid it with gloves, but I've got this circulation issue. So I was trying to make sure I had something on there. Um, and then just a pair of standard, you know, running shorts. And of course, because it was cold and I have Achilles issues and I'm trying to keep my calves warm. I also had my calf sleeves on, but um, I got out there and I felt, I felt like this was going to be a good run. You know, some days you get up and you're like, this is going to be a good run. But as soon as I started down the trail, I said, this was a mistake because within the first <laughs> 400 meters, I was in ankle deep water 
and then straight into mud that's over the over up to my ankles. So like water above my ankles and mud that's up to my ankles. And I'm used to running in Hoka's and I've got my Boston's, but I, I haven't really had a lot of off-road shoes until just recently. And now I have kind of a slew of them, but I was, I had my eyes down and I'm watching every step. Um, and as I went though, I realized that these shoes are like the, the lugs on them are like paddle wheels on a, on a river boat and the rubber on the bottom of it. And Michelle's nodding her head. The, the rubber on the bottom of it, of it is the stickiest uh, rubber I've ever had on a, on the bottom of a pair of shoes. Um, now, one of the complaints of these shoes is that they're pretty stiff and they have a very hard sole. And they're really heavy. And they're heavy, that they are heavy. Um, but what I noticed was about halfway through the run, um, I started seeing people's people that were ahead of me and people maybe had gotten out there earlier and they were slipping and sliding all over the place. And, and I can fine. honestly, and I was completely fine. Sure. And I can honestly say that if I was wearing a pair of my Lone Peaks or if I was wearing the Cascadias I have, or if I was wearing those La Sportiva Bushido 2s I have, I would have been all over the place on the, the semi, you know, the, the semi-vertical surfaces, the rocks that were wet. But with these things, I'd put my foot anywhere. And in addition, because of that hard sole, which is heavy, uh, I could step on anything and not worry about it um, impacting the bottom of my foot. Like it was, mm -hmm. it's almost like the whole shoe's a rock plate, kind mm -hmm. of felt like. And I've talked about this once before, when, when you start feeling that confidence with your feet, your eyes start to come up and you get that angle, that view. Now I'm looking down the trail and I think, you know, on the trail, that's where speed comes from and then confidence, and then you're not kind of tiptoeing around stuff anymore. And enjoyment. And that's what I felt. That's, that's what, that's the advantage that, and enjoyment, exactly. Cause now mm -hmm. I can actually see this outdoor space that I'm running in. And mm -hmm. I would say it took me about a mile and a half, two miles to get to that point. But once I got there, it was great. Um, uphills, downhills, you know, rocks, ponds, whatever, you know, crease, uh, stream crossings, many of them. Um, and I just, it, I really enjoyed it. And at no point, so a couple of complaints I have with other shoes, say like the, the other pair of Gore-Tex shoes I have are the Hoka uh, Speed Goats. Water gets in them and never comes out. Uh, you, you end up sloshing around. I literally ran through probably a quarter mile of water through different sections in these shoes and they were never sloshy, not once. No Literally every single time you take a step in these shoes, your body weight gets rid of the water that you took in, you know, whatever you were running through. Yeah. Um, so, so, but, but now, so here's the, here's the asterisk at the end of this story. This shoe is really only good for that purpose. Right. That's right. <laughs> so this is a shoe to have in your stable for that day you want to go running off road, the trail you want to go on is a sloppy mess mm -hmm. and the rest of your shoes aren't going to work. Um, it's not a shoe that you're going to ever wear out. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I would go so far as to say, if you're going to have a rotation of shoes, this is the very, very last shoe, mm -hmm. even in the trail shoe category that you should worry about purchasing. Right. I mean, so it, it's, uh, yeah, because you're not going to totally use it except for that. in those in those very specific circumstances. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it makes sense to me right. 
that when we think about like road shoes or when I think about road shoes, um, you know, I have, I bought a new pair of shoes yesterday. I mean, I have multiple pairs of shoes um, that I, that I use for racing on the roads um, given what the conditions are, given how fast I want to run, given the length of the, of the race itself or the workout itself, all that sort of thing. It makes sense that you would have different gradations of tra trail shoes as well. But I think a lot of us, particularly those of us who, who run on the road all the time, tend to think of all these different types of road shoes and then you have one trail shoe, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they'll, they'll just say, oh, well, I'm doing a, a race that has grass in it. And so ergo, I'm going to get this incredibly overbuilt pair of trail shoes and those are going to be my trail shoes. But, but indeed there's all these different gradations of trail shoes as well as evidenced by what you're just describing there. So. And I would venture to say that the, um, the range of off-road running is way wider hmm. than the range of on-road running. Mm -hmm. so to have that shoe that's way on the edge for off-road running gives you a lot more capability um, off-road mm -hmm. you might not use it very often but that day you need it that's a ankle saver that's a time saver mm -hmm. that's an enjoyment builder yeah. you know that's that's a big deal whereas if i go out and oh man i forgot my boston's at home but i've got my sketchers Oh, well, I can run the Skechers on the road. That's no big deal, right? It, it, it's not going to impact your run as, as much as this was the shoe I needed for that run. And I didn't, I didn't plan it that way. It just worked out that this day I needed that shoe and it was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So very cool. yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I'm actually glad that Michelle had something positive to say about it because <laughs> she didn't say anything positive about the shoe prior to us having this, this conversation. Well, she didn't understand these circumstances in which you were using them. It is kind of incredible when you when you use not just shoes, but like even mountain bikes and that sort of thing. When you use a piece of equipment for precisely the purpose that it's supposed to be used, you're like, oh, that's actually kind of an impressive piece of equipment. <laughs> so very good. Very good. Yeah. I, I mentioned that I bought a new pair of shoes yesterday and they're still sitting next to me on my desk. I'm holding them up and showing them now to, uh, to, uh, to Michelle and Eric and Michelle is shaking her head because I agree that they're not the prettiest shoes I've ever owned, particularly because they have speed, speed elite, elite. <laughs> written in really big letters across them. But, but now I, uh, in thinking about, uh, my next pair of marathon race shoes, I've been thinking about various things and I found a good price on, a pair of Skechers um, Go Run Speed Elite Hypers. I think that's all the names there because evidently every shoe needs to have like five names now. Um, six. And so it's, it's the carbon plated, uh, carbon plated Skechers shoe. Um, and I, I, I race in their non-carbon plated shoe and I like it. And so I decided to try the, the plated one here. So I realized today I should have used it for the workout I did today. And, and I just forgot because I haven't, I haven't mentally put it in my rotation yet. So I'll be sure to let y'all know how it goes once I do. Um, thanks for that, Eric. So, so kicking us off with the run. And of course, there was a sort of a, a tech edge to, to your, the run this time. So we'll look forward to that. Um, Michelle, I hope that, that you will be able to tell us about a good run that you have this time next week. If you don't, then, then I'll be able to tell you about a good one that I'll have between now and then. Maybe it'll be me finishing the last three stages of the, uh, the Tour de Zwift. Are you going to take those <laughs> shoes for a test run? This so I'll, 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 I will, I will probably, let's see, I have to look at what my training schedule looks like. Um, I should, like I said, I should have done them today because I did uh, an up-tempo workout today on the treadmill and, and that would have been like the perfect thing to use it for. It took like 40 minutes. Um, and I just didn't think about it. I used another pair of shoes. I used my, my new balance beacons. Um, 
which that's I like a lot as well. Um, that's one of my all-time favorite shoes. I like that shoe a lot too, but, um, but this, that would have been a good opportunity to test these shoes and I'm excited to test them. Eric, you will be interested to know in these shoes, um, the heel counter, and we'll talk more about this when I actually run in them there. It's virtually, there's not really much of a stiff heel counter as all at all. And so I'll be interested to see like, don't you need like, that stability for your Achilles? So, so I don't actually. Um, oh. and so, so it's the, it's the, it, it won't rub against my Achilles as, okay. as much. And so it might not irritate it. Usually the rubbing against my Achilles is not what bothers it, but I know Eric does have that issue that the, the rubbing of the heel counter against his Achilles does bother his. So he and I have however, similar, but not exactly really, the same injuries. However, there's really uh, floppy heel counters, like the ones in the, uh, a tray is that I tried on. Um, as soon as you step on something, a little bit of uh, angle to it, mm -hmm. your your heel can slip right out of the side. Oh, of yeah, that. yeah. So you you, you yeah. leave the shoe behind. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. It ends up. Yeah. It becomes a different type of issue. That's the one that's been <laughs> out for six weeks. So. Wait. You just have to. How did you get your hands on a pair of Atreus? <laughs> we we. I missed this. Do you have them? Mm -hmm. No, I gave them away. He didn't like them. So I traded those Atreus for another pair of speed goats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He traded. When, um, did you actually get on the subscription for Atreus, Eric? Or, no, or, yeah, I got, got the from... first, I got it oh. in the first round that they came out. Oh. And then um, uh, I heard myself in the Atreus and then Lee heard himself off-road on the speed crosses. And he avowed never, or he said disavowed off-road running. So he gave me a speed crosses. I gave him my Atreus. There you go. That is the a fine trade. Shoes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I know, I mean, you really, it's hard to get your hands on a pair of those. So, so Don't. they have been popular. Um, all right. We, uh, we've talked a lot about shoes already tonight. So very good. Uh, Michelle sardonically wrote on our Google doc where we gather our thoughts prior to each podcast. Do we ever talk about running anymore? Um, and what she was talking about when she said that was racing actually. And, and the short answer to that question is, is yes, of course we do. The slightly longer answer to that question is, well, there's just not a whole lot of racing right now, but Michelle, we had some racing. Yeah. Us, we've had, a lot of racing uh, the past week, maybe even a little bit uh, before our previous podcast. But I mean, we can literally choose from indoor track, which is the customary uh, type of racing to take place in February. But we've got outdoor track, we've got NCAA cross country, and uh, we've got some of the big ultra running races that are, um, you know, the Western States qualifiers back on the calendar. So I guess just kind of in a brief rundown, um, Aethan Mew ran an indoor track meet this week. She ran 50-52 for 400 meters. It's a pending world under 20 record. She's a freshman. Um, it is the fourth fastest time indoor ever by a woman from the United States. And I think it's uh, really just, um, she's only 18. So yeah, it's incredible. I it's think it'll be interesting to see. Freshman in college just ran the fourth fastest American 400 of all time. And it's not as if like we've been hurting for the 400 meters in American history. Like that's right. one of the events that we own. <laughs> right. So, so um, yeah. Amazing. And she had a Texas A&M teammate just, you know, really pretty close behind her. So I think uh, we've got a lot of up and coming um, and it's fun to just, whether you think indoor track should take place or not, it is taking place. Um, so just seeing, you know, college kids get back out there and go for it was pretty fun this past weekend. Well, to, to, be, to be fair, it's taking place in empty arenas. Um, and so so most of the races that are happening, they're not happening with the, the fans in the stands and the cheering right. and the falling all over. And so, so the way they normally would. And so so 
the argument can certainly be made um, that that there shouldn't be any sort of racing going on at all. Um, and and I'm sure. definitely sensitive to that argument. But but the racing is taking place in a much different way than it normally would. Um, you know, this time last year and, and hopefully this time next year, but certainly this time two years ago. Um, so what else? Yeah. And I think we're just also continuing to see kind of what we saw last summer. Um, people are just coming out and are fired up to race. So we saw a big indoor track meet over in Europe. Um, we saw a new world record in the 1500 meters, um, 353.09. And not that that in and of itself isn't amazing, but Laura Muir, who's a fantastic British runner, um, also ran the first indoor 1500 meter for women under four minutes mm -hmm. for British women. And she came 359. I mean, she was six seconds behind first place it's and she was off the screen, right? Yeah. You didn't even, you didn't even see her. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a British record. It's the first time a woman's gone under four for 1500 inside. So, um, just people are running super fast. This race had an indoor steeple, a uh, men's steeple for 2K, which was kind of fun to watch. And then um, our favorite brothers, um, Jacob, say his last name, George. Ingbertson. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he wanted to go out and run a 331 for 1500 and he ran 331.8. So that was also amazing to watch. Mm -hmm. um, I know people have been quarantined. Europe's been much harder for some of these guys to you know, kind of get out in a way and train. Um, I think Jacob was doing an altitude stint in Spain maybe, but I mean, the racing's just hot everywhere. Uh, we had a quick meet on Saturday, which the Bowerman Track Club sponsored, the Prickly Pear Invite. It's no longer behind a paywall. Um, it's on USATF TV. You can go and watch it. And it was just a women's 1500, a men's 1500, and then a women's and men's 3K. And it was outdoors, took place in Arizona. Those teams are all at altitude now. So they just came down for the race. Um, it was mostly Bowerman, New Balance, and a few uh, Puma runners now. Or Puma Hashtag runners. Puma fan. Yeah. Um, and I thought the great thing about this meet and would encourage anyone to go watch it was it was just 45 minutes. It was really quick. Yeah. Um, everything went off kind of on time and the videography was pretty good and the commentating was good. And, yeah. um, you know, it's just kind of fun to see people out there grinding and the times weren't obviously, you know, American record or world record. We don't really want outdoor times to be that way in February, considering we yeah. have Olympic trials that are supposedly happening in June. Um, so these athletes shouldn't be peaking outdoors right now, but the racing was really good. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was fun to see. Right on. And then we also now, have now NCAA. I, I, well, so yeah. on that note, just real quick about, about sure. Prickly Pear and, and about the 45 minute track meets and just a small number of races. Yeah, can we have more of those, please? <laughs> yeah, I know. I agree with you. Like I said, uh, in our wrap up podcast for the year, my favorite race of the year was just the 5,000 meters that, that, uh, a group of guys from the same training group went out did and did where Mohamed ran 1248 or whatever it was. It just right. incredible. Um, yeah. and, and, and not only the, the purity of the event, but it's also like, you're just not distracted by all the other events as well, you know, and you don't get to the end of the track meet and think, think, okay, what was the best event that I saw? And, and how does this 400 compare to that long jump compared to that 5,000 meters? It's like, you got to enjoy the 5,000 meters and that was the only race there was. And it was great. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I, 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 I liked the focus nature of that. And I, I can definitely understand where you're coming from with the whole prickly pear invite having only one men's race or one men's 1500, one women's 1500, one men's 3000, one women's 3000, and then 
go home. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, all these pros are uh, pretty much in the middle of really intense training and in altitude sense, but they were just, you know, in their kits and I mean, they just look so excited to race. Just, mm -hmm. they seem to be eating up the opportunities. So, yeah. um, yeah. And, and you don't go watch it <laughs> and, and you don't know when you're going to have the opportunity to race again. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like that's what we saw so much, not only last year in running, but particularly in cycling is sure. that like in the grand tours, which are three week races, like people were racing with abandon, even though they had three weeks of racing to do because the race could get canceled tomorrow. And so, yeah. so people were literally racing, like they were not going to have another opportunity to race. And I think that we see that in, in running as well. Yeah. Um, it's pretty amazing. And if you want my point again, though, that I think part of it is they're not exhausted from the constant racing series. I think you're right. Right. They're, they're able to come out and perform in these very specific uh, cases, as opposed to, you know, Michelle mentioned the travel, you know, being in Europe and eating out and figuring out all those logistics. I agree. That is terrible wear and tear on you and it, mm -hmm. it impacts your running. So these this year and next year and last year, they're the years for records. Yeah. Yeah. I think every record is I agree. on the line. Um, even the ones that, you know, we haven't seen fall in over a decade. I think mm -hmm. we're going to see a pretty remarkable year. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, like Michelle said, just a second ago for, for the, the prickly pear invite, they were at altitude and they just kind of drove down to the track where they normally do their workouts or whatever yeah. <laughs> and, and, and just kind of did it there. And, and the only difference really between that and, and uh, a, a practice session was that there was commentators there. Right. Um, and if you want some cross country action, there's a really awesome video. Uh, we saw number two BYU defeat number one NAU uh, in men's uh, cross country race this past weekend. And I don't think that we'll see that outcome again this season. NAU didn't run their top guy. Um, but last year's uh, NCAA third placer, Connor Mance, basically took the win. Uh, but there was a freshman from NAU that just came up right behind him about two seconds. And it was just a sprint to the finish all out, uh, just kind of the grit that you want to see in, in true cross country racing. So worth it to watch the finish line video of that. Uh, NCAA cross country championships, which is so weird to say in February, yeah. uh, is I think six weeks from now in March. So we're seeing a lot of schools that are choosing to compete in Pete indoor um you know having to make the decision whether they're gonna field indoor track and field and also run cross country at the same time mm -hmm. so that's pretty interesting to watch i'm not sure we'll see that again i mean hopefully we don't have another pandemic in any of our lifetimes so that mm -hmm. won't be a bad thing yeah. and then i would say uh other kind of big on our radar we talked about a year of good ultra running and you know, being general fans of ultra running, uh, the back, the black Canyon ultras this weekend, which is another Western States qualifier. And probably the most interesting thing about that is we're going to see Jim Walmsley uh, come back from <laughs> his 100 K record attempt. Uh, was that two weeks ago? It feels like it was yesterday, but yeah, I think it was two weeks ago. So it's been two weeks. So he'll have had three weeks in between that Hoka, uh, you know, project carbon X two or whatever it was. And, the black cannon ultra and he might or might not be rested, but, uh, he actually needs a good run. He needs a ticket for States. So I'm assuming it's going to happen this summer. Mm -hmm. And I think we just have some other small track races that are happening this weekend. Bowerman just announced another outdoor meet in Arizona. There's going to be the new balance, uh, indoor grand prix in Boston. It's going to take place this weekend. And we obviously have black Canyon ultra. So 
some more exciting stuff yeah, to look yeah. forward to. No matter what sort of running you like to see, like We've it's got all it. there. <laughs> yeah. We can talk about it. It's yeah. all happening yeah. at once. Yeah, strange. Yeah, and and you know, strangely enough, and this is the way it was with cycling last year. We joked about that, but but yeah, you literally have indoor track, outdoor track, cross country, and ultra running and road racing all going on all at the same time at very high levels. Um, yeah, it's it's just not something you would we, we would normally see, but sure, you know, pe- people are, are trying to, to grab the opportunities where they can. Um, Speaking of ultra running, I did want to add just as we're talking about people who are doing amazing things, um, that Pam Reed um, last week or a couple last month uh, ran her 100th 100 mile race. Um, it was actually just last week, it was on February 3rd um, at the Grand Masters Ultra in Arizona. Um, and it was just three weeks before her 60th birthday. Um, so congrats to Pam Reed. If you're not familiar with Pam Reed, just to tell you really quickly, um, she's an author of a book called The Extra Mile, One Woman's Personal Journey to Ultra Running Greatness. Um, she was born in Michigan. She now lives in Wyoming. Um, and then she started in the late 80s doing Ironmans. And then she did her first 100 miler in 1992. Um, and that was the Wasatch Front 100. And then she went on to do the Wasatch Front 100, I think 13, 14 times uh, she's done that. Um, she's done at least one 100 miler every year since 1992. And of course, doing the math on that, there are several years where she did far more than one, as a matter of fact. Um, she's probably best known for what she's done at Badwater, the Badwater Ultra Marathon, which is 135 miles, which used to finish at the top of Mount Whitney. So you'd run at the from the lowest point of, of uh, California in Death Valley up to the highest point of California in Mount Whitney. Um, and the temperatures are just insane. Um, and there's all this lore there about how um, people will, will run on the painted lines in order to keep their shoes from melting and things like that. Um, but anyway, um, she, uh, she did that for the first time in 2002 um, and she won the race overall um, the 135 mile race overall, the first time she ever did it in 2756-47. Um, she eventually finished that race 11 times. Um, she finished on the podium every time she ran it and she won it three times. Um, so obviously a pretty incredible runner there. Um, one other thing we'll say about her is that she um, it was the American record holder for 24 hours with 138.96 miles in San Diego, California. Um, until about 2018, I think it was. Um, and that's when Camille Heron uh, broke her record, as a matter of fact. So um, uh, a record she held for, for 15 years. So anyway, Pam Reed, like I'm saying, while we're talking about races and while we're talking about ultras here, got her 100th 100 mile race um, on February 3rd. So Eric, you got some work to do, man, to catch up with Pam Reed. I have a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> Ultra runners have run 100 100s. So how many? I mean, is that a known number? It, it is actually a known number. I'm going to look it up real quick while y'all talk about how incredible it is that Pam Reed just joined that club. I mean, how many people just kind of run one 100, get a buckle and call it a day? I, I, I would probably be that person. <laughs> In fact, I want to be that person as a matter of fact, but, um, but, but no, um, I, 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 I have a hard time wrapping my mind around towing the line of them, right? for 100 like, of them. Yeah. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's in, in, running four 100s a year for 25 years. Is that yeah. math right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's totally right. <laughs> four times 25 <laughs> does indeed equal 100. Um, but, but yeah, the, the, the fact that, 
if, if you think about standing at the starting line of a race and you think about what's ahead of you and you know that, and even not even the starting line of the race, but like all the training that goes into getting you ready for a race, the amount of time that it actually takes you to be ready to run a 100 miler. And then the amount that you have to endure in order to be able to get to the finish of 100 miler. Like then you need to recover. That, yeah. And then recovering from it. Like that is just an incredible it, it, it's, it's just a lot of, it's just a lot to do for 100 times. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, I, and I wish I had the words to really articulate how, how mind blowing it actually is. Um, there are 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 people in the 100 by 100 miler club. That is a very prestigious ultra so, running club. So to be in. It is indeed. It is indeed. <laughs> hey, I got a quick race shout out to James Aldridge, one of my athletes. He's going to run the Oak Island marathon. This weekend on the 13th, uh, he's been doing a great uh, run up to this marathon. Um, he's gotten over some hamstring issues, and I really think he's ready for this one. So excited to see how he does, and just uh, good luck, James. Avid listener, avid listener of the podcast. Oh, very cool. Thanks for that. Is yeah, Oak Island pretty flat, I assume? That's what is I was going to ask. Pancake it's an flat island or? out on the coast of North Carolina. This is uh, this is pancake flat. Yeah, good luck, James. We're excited. The the, the, the stars will align for James. Everything's going to go right. His training will be realized. So good luck, James. Uh, we look forward to hearing how it goes. Eric, make sure you report back to us next week. So, um, we'll do. We'll do. So best wishes, to James. Um, all right. Um, wrapping up talking about this. Do we still talk about running? Yes, we still talk about running. Um, one other thing that we, I, I do want to kind of mention since we're talking about fast running and racing and all that sort of thing is a story that came onto the wires at the tail end or the beginning of this week, I guess it was the tail end of last week. Um, and, and that was that there's a, uh, a cyclist named Tom Pidcock. Um, he's a British cyclist. Um, and he does cyclocross, and, and as part of cyclocross, you actually have to pick up your bike and run a little bit. And so um, he's not a complete stranger to running by any stretch. Um, but he decided to do a little cross training this past weekend. And he strapped on a pair of Nike Vaporflies and he went out to run a 5K on the roads. And he posted on Strava that he ran 13.25 for 5K. Um, and that would put him about five seconds in front of Jacob Ingbertson's uh, road European 5K record. And it would put him about five seconds behind the track 5K, 5,000 meters uh, national record for Great Britain. Um, pretty soon after he posted it, it got flagged by somebody on Strava. And so um, he, he seemed to appreciate the fact that it seemed as if this was an unlikely thing to have happened. Um, he actually wrote, this morning I went out to try and break the 15 minute 5K. I did a 1325. Apparently this is very quick, he writes. Apparently. <laughs> so um, yeah, apparently so. But, but he, um, uh, <laughs> lots of people kind of started asking about it and questioning him about it and, and, and tweeting to him and, and responding to his Instagram post and all that sort of thing. He did post a picture that a friend of his took or a video that a friend of his took while he was in the midst of running it. And just say it didn't appear as if he was running 1325 speed. Um, and so I tried to go look at it, but since it's been flagged on Strava, it was actually taken down here. Um, there are some doubts about it. Um, there's a, a distance runner, a guy who uh, rides for the, or a cyclist who used to be a distance runner named Michael Woods, who used to, uh, who rides for the Israel startup team. Um, and uh, he actually put on, on Twitter, he said, I've been getting a number of messages asking if Tom Pidcock's 1325 five kilometers was legit. 
I don't mean to knock the guy as he's an incredible athlete, but based off that vid and his GPS data, I bet a lot of money he was running far closer to 15 minute pace, still a very respectable time. So um, if it turns out he, uh, Tom Pickett did say he's going to try and go out and, and run it again um, this weekend and try and, so, so he said validate the time. Um, and, and so we'll see if he did in fact run a 1325 and he goes out and runs like, you know, anything under 14 minutes this weekend for a 5k, then should he I, consider switching careers? Maybe <laughs> I, I was going to say, then I am never going to stop cross. I'm never going to stop cross training anyway, but I, never I, gonna I'm, stop I'm probably going to run even less <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and start and start riding my bike even more uh, than I do now. So, so yeah, we'll see uh, to be, to be continued the story of Tom Pitcock and his blazing fast 5k. All right. What does it take to get flagged on Strava? Is it just that you post something and somebody doesn't believe you? Yes, basically. Yeah. Got it. Um, and, and when you do flag somebody's stuff on Strava though, you have to enter the rationale. So, so it's it. not just that you click a button and you move on. Um, you actually have to take a minute, less than a minute. You have to take 10 seconds to actually write why it's bad and why it's wrong. Um, and you have to choose what you think it is. And so I've flagged people's stuff on Strava before. Ain't no shame in my game, <laughs> but, but like I, ha I have a couple of uh, I have a couple of running segments and and from time that are down by the river and from time to time I'll get noticed that so and so just broke your your CR on this segment by two minutes and thirty seconds. You're like you actually can't run that tenth right. of a mile on Columns Drive two minutes exactly. and thirty seconds faster than me. Exactly. Um, and so, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll go on there and sure enough, it'll be somebody that went out and did a supposedly, you know, 42 mile run at, at three fifteen per mile pace. Right? And so, so <laughs> maybe so they were on a bike, maybe they were on a bike. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Um, and so, so I'll flag it and then it'll say, okay, tell us why you're flagging it. And it gives you a choice and I choose, you know, it's the wrong activity type. It's a, it's a bike. And then it says, tell us why. And I said, nobody can run 42 miles at three hours and 15 minutes per mile. <laughs> <laughs> that's just kind of what I put. And, and Strava and, believes you. And Strava believes me because it's it's fairly because it's obvious. True. <laughs> yeah. Um and 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 they end up they 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 change it. Yeah. Um so so yeah, so somebody flagged you know, it and said George, I don't think it's possible for him to do this, and then Strava took a closer look at it. Only flagged one person one time in my whole life. Was it me? I have one segment. <laughs> no, it was a it was a cycling segment. It goes up this hill. I told you about the Honeycutt Trail. Well, Honeycutt's a road. And mm -hmm. I had been bombing up this hill on the way home from work over and over again. And finally, one day I killed it and I took this thing. The, yeah, like three days later, I got this, you know, so-and-so, whatever, beat your CR. And, uh, I go and look at it. And the guy, it's a mountain bike ride. The guy had ridden like five miles north of there, put his bike on his in his in his jeep no and then drove home right <laughs> so so i i didn't know how to do the whole thing in strava at first so mm -hmm. i just messaged the guy and said hey clip your ride mm -hmm. the guy follows me to this day <laughs> best no friends forever <laughs> he follows me to this day he doesn't he's ride of, he's, he's one of your three followers <laughs> He, he gives you kudos whenever you go on a mountain bike ride. Yeah, exactly. No, well, and that, that's actually one of the options you have when you flag somebody on Strava, it's activity was in a vehicle. Um, and that's expressly for the people who right. literally get in their car when they finish their run or they finish their ride and they, uh, and they then, you know, drive home 
over the same route that they just ran potentially or rode potentially and uh and and where they were running 10 minute pace they're now driving at 40 miles an hour um and their gps picks that up and says that they're running it clearly not clearly not yeah like i said i uh I don't hesitate to flag people. <laughs> I, I mean, so so people with more grace, I suppose, like like you, Eric, will actually reach out to people and said, "Hey, why don't you know change your activity type on here?" I'm like, "Nope, flag." <laughs> and how much time do you spend scrolling through? Not much. A feed to flag like. Not much. Well, in some of them, it's just a fool's errand. Like the 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 ones that are on Strava and Strava actually, you know, or not Strava, Zwift. Um, Zwift actually made a big change to all of their Strava, their Strava segments recently. They basically flipped a switch and all of the ones that have been made by people like me and Eric um, were made private. And the only ones that are now allowed on, uh, the only segments in the Zwift worlds that are allowed uh, on Strava are the ones that are done by this one particular Strava can, or Zwift companion site called Zwift Insider. Um, but I mean, it was out, it's the, the things on there are just outrageous. Um, and so, so yeah, like those, you know, you, you do some major effort and you think you've done fantastically well and you go on Strava and you find out that you like were 4,000th place for this one segment and you go look at the people who are, in, I mean, literally, and, and, you, and you go look at the people who are in the lead and, and they, they supposedly put in just incredible superhuman performances and the first 200 people did. Um, and you're not, I, I'm not going to go through and flag every single one of those just so I can move from 3,000th to 2,800th. Yeah, obviously not. So, um, but anyway, anyway, so this is what you're missing, Michelle, when you don't go on Strava. This is the fun that you could be having. I have so <laughs> many other places to have better fun than that online, <laughs> specifically speaking. So I'm sure. I have no doubt. <laughs> As I All try right. to minimize my time online and you're encouraging me to <laughs> increase it. Last thing we want to talk about here. Last thing we're talking about. Speaking of having fun, speaking of getting out and enjoying the world and, and, and not just simply uh, staying on your house and on your computers and all that sort of thing. Um, the 2020 Global Runner Survey, uh, the results of that were released over the course of the past couple of weeks. And um, the surveys were sent out. They were taking, taken in like October, November for how things were going and what runners were doing and what their behaviors were in 2020. So some interesting findings there. 78% of the respondents wrote that they participated in fewer events last year due to the pandemic and 94% were unable to participate in events they had planned due to cancellations. Now, 78% of respondents participated in fewer events last year. Who are the 22% that, that competed in more events last year? I don't know. 66% um, of runners plan to be back out racing as soon as an event is available in their area or within traveling distance, they said. 20%, uh, merely 20% said they wanted to wait for a vaccine to be available before they raced again. 61% uh, of runners expect to participate in more events than 2021. In 2021. 61% think they'll take part in more events in 61% of runners expect to participate in more events in 2021 than they were able to in 2020. Again, that kind of makes me wonder about that 39%. Who are the 39% that think that they actually competed in more events in 2020 than they're going to in 2021? The people that raced a virtual 5K every single weekend of 2020. I know you're not talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> I raced like two. Um, I'm not talking about you. Think about the amount of virtual racing active participation there was this past year. People clung to 
anything and everything they could find to be a part of something and cultivate some type of race experience. I agree with you on that. And, and, and that was, like I said, there year in podcast, that was one of my big takeaways is that I found that I ended up doing these things that I never thought I would be doing in order to really scratch that racing itch. But, but do you think people actually raced more because they're racing virtually or you think they just race the same amount or less? That, I, I think, think people probably, I mean, people, I think they probably raced per race more races if they were into the virtual racing because a lot of them weren't time and date specific but you could still be a part of something you could be part of a Strava challenge you could you know be part of sign up I mean the elk run 5k that I did what's the 5k that you did Nikki Hiltz's 5k I mean 5k Mm -hmm. there was one of those every summer if not 10 of them every week over the summer every summer you know every weekend over this past summer um, so I could I, see I people agree. just killing it with the virtual stuff. I mean, the you, pandemic you, actually knocked down some of the barriers for participating in a race, mm, right? Took away the sure. cost, took away yeah. the travel, took right. away a lot of those things that you have to figure out. It's like, oh, just go run 5K. Right. You joined a group on Strava. You joined Zwift. You joined a forum on Facebook. I mean, there were a lot of ways to do it that didn't involve money or travel or needing a babysitter, <laughs> you know, any of that stuff. Cle- clearly, y'all are right. I mean, clearly you're both right. The, the, the data bears that out. I mean, 61% of runners expect to participate in more events. 39% of runners expect to participate in fewer events in 2021. I mean, you're, so, you're so leaving clearly, out the zeros. Right. So you're leaving that? out the people that, that, put, that, that, that didn't answer more or less. No, 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 no. Or, or, you yeah, more right. or less. And I'm going to run the same. So there right. could be, I just, True. you know, Sure. Tech guy, I got to step in and sure. Good point. It could be 39 think they're going to say and zero think they're going to have fewer. Good point. Good point. Cause it didn't actually say that fine. Good point. Good point. Um, but still, I just, I, I, I'm still struck by that. And clearly what y'all are saying about, about, um, the frequency and the accessibility of virtual races appealing to, to a wide variety of people and getting them to compete more often. Um, clearly the, the, the data kind of bears that out. 73% of runners participated in a virtual event in 2020 as an alternative to in-person racing but 50% said they prefer to race in person. Again, this is the same thing. 50% said they prefer to race in person. That means that some number approaching 50% said that they prefer to race virtually. Well, Um, I'll also say that I noticed with uh, London announced the lottery this week and a lot of people, most people as usual, didn't get in for the third, fourth, 10th, 20th time. mm -hmm. But because London is again offering a virtual option for the marathon, I mean, people are really excited about that because for people that have, you know, tried and failed through the lottery many times, I mean, I have, I have friends who have literally been rejected from the lottery for the London marathon 10 years in a row, mm-hmm. but this year they can sign up virtually. And because it's almost mainstream, you, you might say, you know, in the running racing world, then they can feel like they're participating. So yeah. Yeah, I get that. I mean, London has said they want to have 50,000 in-person people and 50,000 virtual people come race that day in October. That is just crazy. Yeah. I don't, I don't, we'll see. I don't see that. I think, I think there'd have to be a rapid acceleration in the way that things are moving in order for that to happen, but there might be. And and so I think that would be a good thing, but, but yeah, 50,000 people in person in London for the London marathon this fall seems hopeful. Aggressive. Um, Aggressive. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping the London marathon will be the site of the world marathon majors age group championship in 2022. And that I'll qualify for a spot in that given the world major marathon global marathon challenge that I'm going to be doing on May 1st and 2nd. So 
Do you we'll know where see. you're running that yet? I haven't decided yet. I mean, the, 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 um, the obvious choice is to run a few laps around Columns Drive. Um, where, I've, where, where I've done work, I've done workouts before there, um, but it would take six laps, and, okay. and 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 it would take some some, um, it would take some hard turns. It would take some 180 degree turns. So I'm I'm not sure if I want to do that. Uh, I've also considered doing it at Silver Comet Trail. Um, problem with Silver Comet Trails there'd be some some car crossings, some traffic crossings potentially. So I am definitely open to suggestions, folks. So um, if you're listening, and, and Michelle, that is the same for you. If you think about some good place where I might be able to do this, I'm not going to do it yeah, on the it's, track. It's tough. Doing, doing 105 laps around the track does not appear sure. <laughs> at all. Um, they're not counting treadmill runs, so I can't do it on Zwift. Um, even though if I was going to do it on Zwift, I would definitely recruit Zwift regular Molly Seidel to pace me. Um, <laughs> but uh uh, and by the way, I did have a couple of people that did reach out to me, uh, listen to the podcast, uh, and said that they would be willing to pace me for parts of it. And so, uh, big shout out to, to the folks who, who said that already. And I am definitely going to be taking you up on that. <laughs> so I you will have be, to deal with traffic on columns drive yeah. too, right there. Yeah. It's actually the, yeah, the, but you the can bike traffic, the, 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 the bike traffic is a bigger problem than the, uh, than the, yeah, the car traffic. traffic. Yeah. 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 Particularly doing that. The bike traffic could be kind of a pain. The car traffic, people who drive on Collins Drive just know what the deal is. One of the one of the potential drawbacks of Collins Drive is it can flood. And so if it rains a lot like the week of, then then it might actually be flooded. But why don't you just run on the cinder trail? So uh gotta get that that return from the hard road, man, if I'm gonna be able to run my best race. I mean you'd have to it? make that 180 degree turn nine times. So right? I have to make it, yeah. So eight times a lot you'd start straight eight times. yeah i mean that's a lot yeah, i'd have to measure it out to see exactly what it would be so i don't know i mean i i do workouts there. i've done some really good like final marathon prep workouts there and, and yeah i mean i would do it there i mean that's um, to me it just seems yeah ridiculously obvious but um mm -hmm. we'll see yeah we'll, we'll see i uh, haven't quite decided we'll see um and then a couple of final things here um uh, last one, 87% believe that COVID related cancellations will continue to hamper their running schedule in 2021. Um, I would have definitely been one of the people who said that, and, and that has already come true for me. I mean, <laughs> it's already played out for and, both and, of us. And, and for Eric as well. Yeah. So, yeah, and for, it is and for 2021, well, so. and yeah. COVID related cancellations are still affecting all of us in yeah. more ways than just our running schedules. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a sure. pretty fair statement. I think so too. I, I think, think so there's 13% of people who got that wrong. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or 13% of people that are in denial. <laughs> yeah, they're in denial. Right, right. Or that's that's the same 13% of people who uh who who were planning to run fewer events in 2021 anyway. So it's not gonna hamper their schedule. <laughs> right. Sure. I'm not gonna run any, so it's not gonna cancellations aren't gonna exactly you there you go. Um all right, y'all. Final word, Michelle. This is so much pressure. <laughs> Because she's trying to come up with something to trump me saying anything. That's right, I'm super that's excited right. about the Black Canyon Ultra. So I'm, I, I think it's fun to watch Jim race. And I'll be really interested to see how he rebounds from the 100K effort three weeks ago. Um, I agree. I'll be very interested. Because he is well. another level of athleticism. Um, but nobody can, I mean, he was, I think everybody saw he ran you know, to destruction yeah. a few weeks ago. So yeah. um, physical, yeah, physical and mental destruction. Yeah. yeah. So to see the way he, he not only physically bounces back that from, but mentally bounces back from that. Um, it will be interesting to see. I agree. And like you said before, it's not like he can stroll through it. He needs to finish high. No, he, he needs, right. Ticket. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Eric, last word. Two.
you just mentioned mental destruction and that reminded me of our book of the uh, quarter. That's right. Uh, uh, one of the passages I just read talked about that and how you need to be careful about what kind of things you put in your runner's heads, even if you prepare them correctly for, mm -hmm. uh, for an event. So I think uh, that reminded me of that. So just, just throwing that out there, everybody running to the edge by Matthew Futterman. Right on. Good plug quarter. for the book there. Appreciate that, Eric. Right. right and then my second final thought, uh, I am so excited. If, if it wasn't awesome enough that my wife worked at REI and my daughter works at Fleet Feet, and so shoes just kind of come to me without me even <laughs> thinking about it. Um, I think I told both of you that uh, Melissa is now an on ambassador and I've never owned a pair of those. I've avoided those like the plague. Um, they definitely have a, a different look, a different technology. A, they're just different. Um, I think almost like they, they've never fit me because I've never felt like I had enough money to buy a pair of those and wear them. <laughs> Honest, I mean, I'm just being honest here, but I'm excited to try a pair out. I'm excited to, to hear what Melissa has to say about them and what she experiences with them. She's very open about this sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be kind of an exciting experiment. So. Very cool. Does Melissa cool. listen to the podcast? Occasionally. So she hears my voice this... enough as it is. <laughs> so. so if Melissa's listening, on makes the most gorgeous running jacket. It's like two hundred forty nine dollars. If REI needs to, you know, liquidate get some rid of, of some inventory, uh, <laughs> I'd take a medium in it. <laughs> I think I told you that uh, part of the program is that they they get kitted out, and I'll mm -hmm. tell you that box of stuff was one heck of a kit. Mm -hmm. It yeah. might have included one of those jackets. Awesome. That is Very just so. Cool. I want that. <laughs> hey, you know, speaking of that, you know, you know what else she got? What she might get on Sunday, actually. Did she, she really get, get the a... jacket? Yeah, but <laughs> but more importantly, Michelle, she's going to get that Tracksmith waffle shirt because they uh, they got a new stock in. They did. Yep, and Wait. we bought one for Melissa, so she'll be she'll be wearing that here shortly. Did Grace get a second one? No, she's stuck with the one she's got. I think I can see Michelle turning green with envy right now. I think I can literally see it. Actually, I think what I see is the reflection off of her computer screen as she's literally going online trying to order one of the, the waffle shirts is, right is now. That... This is so much fun. So, this so, so we probably fun. we probably better leave Michelle alone so she can go ahead and make her orders here. Um, oh my gosh, all right, everybody. they are back in stock. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, George. <laughs> um, what color did Melissa get? Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com, facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx, and Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT21. 
On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.